You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Reds fans, and welcome in to the Locked On Reds podcast here on this Wednesday. It's a day in which the Reds have won a series over the world champion Los Angeles Dodgers. Wait, what? Yes, I said it. It happened. The Reds did it. Those Reds that lost seven games in a row coming into the series in L.A. have just won the series. They won the first two games, and now they head into the Wednesday day game-ish, early evening if you're on the East Coast, but a day game looking for a sweep of the world champion. Dodgers. I want to talk about the aesthetics of last night's win for the Redlegs, and we've also got some more minor league previews. We're taking a look at Chattanooga today, which is going to be a very interesting team early on in the season with Doug Gray, and we are walking through the past, through the Reds' history with Cam Miller in the final segment of today's podcast. Before we get into all of that, though, make sure that you are subscribed on the podcast on whatever podcasting platform you're currently listening to. Also, follow me on Twitter at Jeff Carr with three Fs and follow the show at Lockdown Reds and save the Lockdown Reds line number into your phone for reactions, comments, questions, whatever you've got. 513-549-0159. All right, what a night. The Reds win 6-5. to five. And before I jump into the two guys with the bats that I really want to talk about and just lavish a bunch of praise on. I want to talk about the pitching. What kind of games do you expect the Reds are going to win whenever they run out Jeff Hoffman, Jose De Leon, Carson Fulmer, Ryan Hendricks, uh, Heath Hembry, and Sean Doolittle? For every game that they lose, that the starter pitches a gym and then the bullpen pitches a gym, but they just don't score any runs, it's offset by games like this. These are not your uh, A-team pitchers. These are not the guys that are going to just light the world on fire and strike fear in the hearts of opponents. Look, I love Sean Doolittle, but he's still got some coming back to do before I can put him in that category. He is still in the second tier of relievers for the Reds, and I still think Carson Fulmer is as well. And the rest of the guys they pitched today are in Tier 3. Although, Heath Hembry, he's got a couple of more appearances in him before I start to really trust him. But he's shown some pretty nice uh, stuff since being called up. And I know he's a vet and all that stuff of different teams. But Jeff Hoffman continues to have these starts that you look at and you say, well, on the scorecard he did good. There were some concerning things, like five walks. Starter walks five guys, you're a little bit worried about the result of that game. But the Reds end up winning. These are the kind of games that you absolutely have to have if you are going to contend for a division title. You have to have games where your second-tier and third-tier guys get into the game on the mound and you still win. And a lot of that had to do with just the continued dominance, total on-fireness of Jesse Winker. Whole Lee Cal. What more can we say about him at this point? 12 game hitting streak, longest in the majors this season. Obviously, season's barely young, but three games now in a row hitting a home run. And he did it on the very first pitch. 
of this game. Well, you talked about Walker Bueller being a tough uh, get for the Reds to face. They actually put three earned runs on him. First time he's given up three earned runs since 2019. I think I think I saw that stat said September of 2019. So a very, very good day for the Reds lineup. And the fact that they came back on the bat of Joseph, Daniel, Votto. Man was in a slump. 0 for 15. Comes up to the plate and smacks a double to right field. Just an absolutely phenomenal piece of hitting for him. And I loved his post-game interview where he talked about the fact that he came up to the plate and he just needed a hit. Not like in, oh, yeah, I'm getting this hit, man. He's like, no, no, I, I got to get a hit. If I don't get a hit, there there is no thought process past not getting a hit right here. He even talked about, he's like, you know, hitting has become so mechanical and so analytical that sometimes you just got to go up to the plate and just be like, I'm hitting this ball. And that's, and that's the long and short of it. And that's exactly what he did. And, and I love it too. Like in the in his same post game interview, he talked about the fact that you know all throughout his career he's gone through dry spells. Even during his MVP season in 2010, whenever he would hit a dry spell, he would worry about being sent down. An MVP candidate worried about being sent down. That's just Joey Votto, man. That's just, I, I love him. I, I am so happy that he has been a Red his entire career and will continue to be a Red. I'm thinking, until he retires. So I just love Joey Votto, and I love the fact that he was the one that got the game-winning hit last night. But overall, I mean, that is a win against the best team in baseball with your second-tier pitchers and a couple of guys who just really need to step up. Off night for Geno, so that's a nice thing. Maybe get his mind right. Maybe here today with Sonny Gray on the mound, they can get that sweep. But overall, just phenomenal. I, you can't ask for anything better than that. A great game overall, and the Reds win the series against the Dodgers. I mean, would you have thought that coming into L.A.? We all thought. I mean, I even said it on Monday's podcast. I was like, boy, oh, boy, it's, it's a worry now that the Reds could lose 10 in a row. And instead, here we are. They won back-to-back games with a chance to win three in a row and sweep the world champion. Dodgers. That game's coming up today here at 4.10 p.m., depending on when you listen to this. It's 4.10 p.m. on a Wednesday on the East Coast. Let's see what they can do. All right, uh, coming up here, we've got Doug Gray talking about the Chattanooga lookouts. They are going to be very interesting early on here in the season. A lot of uh, big names in Reds' prospect rankings are starting the year in Chattanooga. I'm going to talk to Doug about those, and then we got Cam Miller coming up a little bit later. But Before we jump into all of that, I've been telling you guys this for a while, but Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. Seriously, I can't keep this stuff in my house between me and my wife and friends coming over, different family members, their grandmothers. Man, this stuff is awesome. Between Cherry Barcia, they've got white chocolate raspberry cheesecake, birthday cake with sprinkles. Peanut butter chocolate. I mean, all of these flavors are just absolutely fantastic, but they're healthy for you as well. They're low in sugar, low in carbs, and high 
in protein. You can check out Built Bar today at BuiltBar.com and enter the promo code LOCKED15 to save 15% off your next order. And really, even when you're looking at this amazing tasting snack, it fits into pretty much any diet. They're low in points on Weight Watchers. They fit into a keto diet. You've really got to check it out today. BuiltBar.com and enter the promo code LOCKED15 to save 15% off your next order. That's BuiltBar.com and the promo code LOCKED15. Tomorrow, the Locked On Podcast Network is partnering with the Draft Network to cover the NFL Draft live. Get insight and analysis from Locked On local experts and the Draft Network's national experts. Subscribe to the Locked On NFL YouTube page to watch live three-day coverage of the NFL Draft, April 29th through May 1st. All right, for today's segment, previewing the minor league season that is coming up May 4th. We are going to look at double A Chattanooga. It's been double A for a couple of years and they, you know, they were, there was a little bit of a question or maybe there wasn't that big of a question, but I know all minor league teams kind of had that weird, uneasy feeling with, with major league baseball to sign that they were going to cut so many teams, which still terrible decision, whatever Rob Manfred sucks. Uh, that's beside the point. We're going to preview Chattanooga season today with Doug Gray. We looked at AAA yesterday with the Louisville Bats, and we looked at the top prospects on Monday. So, Doug, tell me about Chattanooga because we got a couple of top guys there in Green and Lodolo and, and Jose Garcia. What are you looking for from this Lookouts team? I mean, I, I think that you, you nailed it right there. Those three guys kind of make this the team. If you're only going to get to see one team uh, in the farm system this year, the, the Chattanooga is the one you're going to want to see early on because you're going to have Nick Lodolo and Hunter Green and Jose Garcia all in the same field. Um, you know, you're, I mean, depending on where you look, those are your top three prospects. Um, you know, obviously we, we all have heard the stories of Hunter Green. I mean, the guy had 105 miles per hour, um, you know, in, in April during a, a spring training game. I mean, who, who does that as a starting pitcher? I'll give you a hint. No one. We we have never heard of any other starting pitcher doing that. Um, only two other guys we know of have done that, and they've both done it as a reliever. So, I mean, he's just, if you get a chance to see it, go see it. Um, you know, Nickel Dole doesn't quite throw that hard. Uh, I mean, again, who does? But, uh, you know, he's he's, you know, one of the top pitching prospects in the organization. He might be the top guy, depending on where you're looking. Um, personally, I've got him right behind Hunter Green as the number two overall prospect in the farm system. But, uh, you know, nobody's perfect, so don't hold me to that forever. But, yes, I mean, I, I really like Nickel Dole and what he brings to the table. Uh, you know, that rotation is going to be really interesting, Jeff. I mean, you know, they've got those top two guys, but they've also got lefty Reaver, Sam Martin. Um, you know, he's he gives a very different kind of look than, than a lot of these guys do. You've got Ryan Lilly, who, you know, he's he's still a little bit inconsistent, but he's got pretty good stuff. And, you know, the interesting one is someone who, you know, if you do follow the farm system, maybe surprise you a little bit, but I've got Matt Pytich projected to be a starting pitcher there. And he's a guy who hasn't really been a a full-time starting pitcher in the farm system, but it it sounds like the Reds are going to give him a shot. Um, And so, you know, I I really do think this rotation could be pretty good. But, I mean, even going to the position side, you've got a few guys, you know, TJ Friedel's probably going to be in Chattanooga. Um, Michael Ciani's probably going to be in Chattanooga. Uh, you know that those are two really good outfielders, and you know, I'm sure the pitchers are going to love it. Both of those guys are speedy and rangy, 
Um, you know, any fly ball that doesn't go over the fence, that's got a pretty good chance of being caught. Um, so, you know, I, I, there's a lot to like there in, in, in Chattanooga if you're, if you're looking for some fun baseball. Sounds like the defense is going to be phenomenal. What's the lineup looking like with those three guys and who else is behind them? You know, I, I'm not too sure how powerful the offense is going to be, if I'm being honest with you. I'm, I'm not sure who's going to play first base for them. Um, it, it's it's going to be you know a, a veteran minor league guy who probably hasn't been in the system before, just kind of looking at who the first base options are throughout the system right now. Um, you know, I, I've got Wilson Garcia penciled in there. Um, you know, it, it could be uh, Robbie Tenerowitz, and I'm probably butchering his last name, and I'm so sorry for that. Um, but, I mean, you know, those guys are, you know, in their late 20s, um, you know, not exactly quote-unquote prospecty, but, um, you know, I, I think that the pitching is probably going to carry that team, at least in the early goings. Um, you know, hopefully Jose Garcia can, you know, at, at a more appropriate level for where he's at um, development-wise, uh, looks a lot better than he did in the major leagues last year, which, you know, again, I, I, I want to reiterate that, you know, he was making a huge jump. Like right. he, he should not have been expected to hit last year in the big leagues. And I'm sure we were all hopeful that he, you know, he had made the adjustments at the alternate site last year. But I mean, again, we were asking a guy to go from basically high A to the major leagues. Um, that That's just not something you can expect someone to succeed with in, in almost any scenario. So I, I think having him at a, a more appropriate level for where he's at development, developmentally uh, will, will be pretty good for him. Um, hopefully he, he hits like he did in Daytona back in 2019, where if you look at the raw numbers, it doesn't look that great, but he actually had a, a 138 OPS plus there because the Florida State League is just such a pitcher-friendly league. Um, I, I think that he'll he'll start to show some things. Obviously, there's still some things to work on. I, I think we all saw last year that you know he'll, he'll chase a slider off the plate if you can throw it where it starts to look like a strike at first. Uh, I think that that's the biggest thing that you want to look for with Jose Garcia is just does he make improvements throughout the year on that very specific pitch? Because that, that was a clear weakness for him last year. Is there an OPS plus level for Jose Garcia that you see them switching him out with Alfredo Rodriguez at AAA? No, I don't think so. I, I think that with Garcia, it's just going to be more about, you know, what, I mean, again, I'm going to go back to the slider thing. What, what kind of adjustments is he making throughout the year with that, that specific pitch? I mean, let's, I mean, I'm going to go way back on this, but you know, you know, the guy just retired and it's just fresh in my mind, but Jay Bruce, mm -hmm. you know, when, when he was in the minor leagues, he was, you know, he was hitting 360 in triple a, but if you looked at his strikeout to walk ratio, it was only okay. And there was a reason for that. That guy could hit a, he could hit any fastball you could throw him. And when he got to the major leagues, you know, he could still hit any fastball, but the guys up there, they could throw that breaking stuff that started to look like it was a strike at first. And then it broke off the plate. And then that's when, you know, he could no longer get away with those same kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, he went from hitting 360 to hitting 250. And again, nothing wrong with that. But, you know, I, I think that, you know, that that's kind of the same thing you want to look for with Jose Garcia is you want to look beyond the numbers and see why he's putting up the numbers that he is. Because in theory, you could just ambush a bunch of fastballs and hit very well, but you're not really improving on the weakness of your game that eventually is going to be exploited if you don't do that. Um, and I, I think with Jose Garcia, you don't really want to look at just the numbers. Uh, being able to see exactly what he's doing to get those numbers is pretty important for him because he does have that big weakness that was you know, very apparent to all of us. And when you look at Nick Lodolo and Hunter Green, I think it's it's kind of more understood that Lodolo's got a better shot of making the major leagues this season, especially like you've 
been talking about that Hunter Green hasn't pitched in a competitive environment for a while. I mean, spring training was really his first foray into that, and it's he might as well have thrown 20 pitches and gotten out of there. So when you look at Nick Lodolo, what does he have to do to earn that call-up this year? Well, I think it's twofold. One, there's got to be an, like an opening in the big, in the big leagues for him. Um, now, I, I think that what we have seen in the past couple of years with the Reds is that even if you are a starter in the minor leagues, you know they're they're not going to be a team anymore because they are trying to compete. They're tr- they're trying to win. I think that's that's very apparent right now. Um, they're not going to hold you back if they do believe that you know at least in the short term you can fill that role in the bullpen. Um, and so you know if if Nicodolo is pitching well in Double A AA or Triple A, and they need somebody to come up as a reliever, um, maybe he could be that option if they truly think that hey this is the best option for us right now. And long term we don't think that it's going to affect Nicodolo. Then maybe he's that guy. Um, I, I don't think that that'll probably happen, say, in the first half of the season, just because, again, the, the minor league season doesn't start until May 4th. Um, and so, you know, they're, they're going to want to you know, get him out there and have him pitching a little bit before they make that move. But um, I, I, I don't look at anybody in the minor leagues as a pitcher right now as somebody who's only a starter or only, you know, going to be a reliever in a quote-unquote emergency situation for the big league club. I, I think that anybody that's a starter right now can kind of be one of those guys that they look at and go, hey, this guy can be a reliever for us. Especially now we're seeing, you know, we're seeing it with TJ Antone and Jose DeLeon in the big leagues. You know, those guys are going to be asked to pitch, you know, two to four innings sometimes in these relief appearances. Um, you know, that's not quite being a starting pitcher, but, you know, that's something that your quote-unquote relief prospects aren't going to be asked to do because they're, they're not brought up that way right now. And I, I think that, you know, that's kind of the, one, of the, one, of the, one of those weird periods where the game is changing a little bit um, in how you are re- using relievers. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that, you know, Lodolo is a guy who, very advanced, you know, he, he throws plenty of strikes. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he got caught up in the second half at some point in, in some role. But again, that role has to be available. Uh, and we, we just don't know if it's going to be, because he's not on the 40-man roster. So if it's going to be something where they need a guy for two days, because let's, I mean, I don't know if anybody's wife is pregnant right now or not, but if it's somebody who has to go on paternity leave, for example, um, you know, Nick Lovell is probably not going to be the guy they call up for that because then you've got to make, you know, multiple roster moves within a span of a week. Uh, you're probably just not going to do that. Um, but if, if there's a, a more long-term role, um, it would, would not surprise me at all. Well, that is the double A Chattanooga lookouts. Like Doug said, Get down there early because there might be some movement there. I mean, the roster is probably going to change a little bit as the season goes on, but they are going to be very fun to watch in the early goings with the roster as it is. Doug, I appreciate it. Well, tomorrow we are going to move down to single A, which is, of course, still split up into high A and low A. However, that has switched, and instead of being at low A, now Dayton is the high A team. We're going to talk about uh, the interestingness of that tomorrow. Today's episode of the Locked On Reds podcast is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. We've got Major League Baseball rolling along. There's also NBA as they near the playoffs. You've got NHL as well. 
all kinds of great sports are on betonline.ag. They even cover award shows, TV shows, and reality TV. Real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine can also be found there. BetOnline has you covered. For all the news, scores, and odds, it's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website today, betonline.ag, or use your mobile device to sign up and receive 50% as a welcome bonus, 50% more on your initial deposit. That's betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Go there today and enter the promo code Locked On to get that 50% welcome bonus. That's betonline.ag and the promo code Locked On. Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. That's the Odyssey app, A-U-D-A-C-Y. Alrighty, we have talked about the beginning of the Reds, the infancy years. We talked about their first World Series. Now, we're going to look at a period that is definitely underserved, but the Reds still play baseball. This is the years between 1919 and 1940, because everybody kind of jumps from World Series to World Series when it comes to looking at the Reds' history, but there was still plenty to look at for the Reds between 1920 and 1939. And here to talk about that with us today is our man Cam Miller from the Reds Hall of Fame Museum. We've been talking to him all week about the history of the Reds and what really defined this time period for the Reds, Cam. I think that if you look at pre-1939, 1940, back to that World Series appearances, and you get that arrow after you get a love, you have Ed Roush, who is still just absolutely dominating the game. You have him. He is, uh, I think it was 500, maybe 507, maybe six. I can't remember off the top of my head. But over 500 RBIs for the decade of the 20s. He's got 117 stolen bases. He uh, he led the league in average of 242 somewhere in there. But all, he's just dominating in every offensive category. You think. Plus, you have the Redland Field now. For those of you that were at the game when you saw six home runs <laughs> during this game, <laughs> that wouldn't happen in the Redland Field. Nobody's hitting home runs in Redland Field. It was the worst home run ballpark in all of baseball during this decade. But also something that started to take a, a foot in the 20s and it, right before the, 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 uh, the championship year of 1940 was the Reds finally got a taste of some good pitching. And who led that? Dolph Luke, the Cuban extraordinaire. He was absolutely unbelievable. He, Led the, the league in winning percentage, led the team in wins. He was a dominant, dominant, dominant pitcher. Um, also, think about this 1924, the first Reds games on radio. So now you've got this radio presence and you're able to sell advertising. So, which, you know, it changed the way the business of baseball was done. So, a lot of things happened before that World Series team in 1940. So, if you take that little mark in between there, it's just an unbelievable time where a lot of innovations took place, whether it be at the ballpark, whether it be on the business side. But there were some great players. I mean, Dolph Luke, you had Epo Rixey, led the league in strikeouts. Um, just the pitching, I think, was probably the biggest story because you had such a dominating pitching uh, team uh, throughout that decade that it doesn't get a lot of recognition now. Um, but they were they were pretty good. And if it wasn't for you know, the Giants and some of the other good, they would have won more championships, I think, in the 20s. But it, it was a very, very 
thing to win in baseball. The schedule was different. The traveling was different. It's just, it was a different game. So going through that period, Ed Roush and Epirexi and Dolph Luque really kind of paved the way for the Reds, the way that they built their team leading up to 1940 because they had two really amazing pitchers. When you look at the numbers – on Bucky Walters and Paul Derringer, they were absolutely phenomenal. 1940 is one of my favorite teams to look back on, and I've talked about them quite a bit. But looking back on 1940, I remember that was uh, different things, different uh, articles that people had written about that team really talked about how important it was for the longevity of baseball and the fact that Reds fans were really starting to wonder when it was ever going to happen again after 1919. And then comes that 1940 team. What was the biggest thing that stands out to you about the 1940 squad? I mean, you, they were such a perfect team. I mean, think about this in 1939, if they play any other team besides the New York Yankees, Joe DiMaggio, I mean, in that squad, if they play any other team, they're winning that World Series because they were better than any other American League team coming in. The Yankees were the cream of the crop. So we're talking about if a possible back-to-back, but they don't win. They get swept in 39, but they get to 1940, and they finally win that championship. And the thing that strikes, strikes me, you can talk about their defense was absolutely unbelievable. And then that goes, it starts with, with Lombardi. He was a big guy, just knew how to get the job done. And the same with the rest of, of the, the defense, the shortstop, the second base, the, 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 the first base, the outfield, everybody, and they were very good at it. And I think that they were determined to get the job done after getting swept. I think that was a big thing for them. Like, we just got swept by the Yankees. We're not going to lose to the Tigers. It's not going to happen. And it shouldn't have even been as close as it was in 1940, to be honest with you. Just a dominant. Um, and they continued that success as they went on. They were a very good team in the 40s. But there's something about the 1940 team. You're right. It's my favorite team. And I could read about them and study them all the time. And just look, you're talking pre-war. This is right where everything kind of goes haywire. It's just a fantastic, fantastic story. And I think they get lost in the shuffle a lot. That team gets lost with the Big Red Machine and the Frank Robinsons and Gus Bell 50s and the Clues. Um, that team really, really dominated. And I, and I think a, a big part of it was because of the defense. It, that doesn't get enough. We talk about the funds and the Lombardi batting average and winning the batting title, but we never talked about how great they were defensively. I think it would be a, a great team to watch today play. If you could just go down to Grand American Ballpark and watch Ivel Goodman and Billy Myers and Ernie Lombardi suit up, that would just be unbelievable. Oh, I, I, I agree. They're, they're, one of my favorites to look back on and coming up here, we are going to look at kind of the, the era. And and this is going to be the era that wraps up just before the big red machine, which there were plenty of stars to talk about. One guy, my, my one guy that I always look back on and say that I wish I could have watched this guy play. We're going to talk about all that in the next segment on tomorrow's podcast with KM Miller. You're not going to miss it. But that's going to do it for us here today. Thanks again for listening. Make sure that you're following the podcast on your favorite podcasting app. Also follow me on Twitter at Jeff Carr with three F's and follow the show at Locked On Reds. But tomorrow we will continue our reaction. We're going to wrap up the series and continue our coverage of the minor league preview and going through history with Cam Miller. You're not going to miss it. I'll talk to you then. <laughs>